That's right, welcome along to Rugby World Cup today here on SENZ, brought to you by Kubota. Kubota's in-stock catalogue is out now. Tuesday night and another day closer to quarterfinals action this weekend. Just five more sleeps until Sunday morning. It really does feel like Christmas has come early for footy fans. And if you're like me, you're probably constantly changing your mind as to who you have winning these games and advancing through to the semi-finals. All of these matchups, they feel like they could go either way. On today's show, we'll jump into the news from around the grounds and bring you up to speed with the latest out of the quarterfinal sides camps. Following that, we'll have a look at the road to the finals so far for four of the featured teams in Ireland, New Zealand, England and Fiji. Then speaking of Fiji, we're lucky enough to have Fiji and Drua head coach Mick Byrne joining us on the show to talk about the performance of the national side so far and of course that matchup against England this weekend. And then as always, we'll highlight a breakout performance brought to you by Breakout River Meets and take a look ahead at the upcoming schedule of games that you can catch all live here on SENZ. As always, keen to hear your thoughts throughout the show, so feel free to call through at any time on 0800 150811 or text through to 8833. Time now for the news though. In Portugal, they've climbed three places to a new high of 13th on the World Rugby Rankings following that historic win over Fiji. It's pushed them above Georgia, Samoa and Tonga. So here's our breakout performer from yesterday, Nicholas Martins, reflecting on that incredible victory after his player of the match performance for Portugal. Nicholas, um, what an incredible night for Portuguese rugby. Can you please just give us your initial thoughts? What does it mean to you? It's something incredible. Work a lot for that. I know uh, no word to say that. It's uh, historic. I'm so happy. I think it's uh, the best moment of my life. You've been playing some great rugby at this uh, Rugby World Cup, and now a draw, and now a win. I mean, you know, what's, what, what's so special about these boys and this team? I don't know. We are a team of friends from uh, France, from Portugal, but we, we live together. It's, uh, it's something incredible. Yeah, hearing that, you can't help but smile, can you? Of course, that famous win. And, geez, I'm a new fan of Portugal rugby. It's fair to say they've won my heart. Seeing them crying post that full-time whistle, that was special stuff. To Argentina now, and unfortunately the news for them is not so good. Los Pumas, they're set to be without the services of their influential forward, Pablo Matera, for their highly anticipated game against Wales. The 30-year-old, he limped off the field in that in the 24th minute of their 39-27 win over Japan. Here's coach Michael Checker talking on facing Wales and also that injury to Matera. You take on Wales in the quarterfinals. Your captain just said that you're going to need to improve if you are to beat them. Is that how you see it as well? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, as you go along, you got to get better. Like, one thing we did do today, we scored some tries. Which we, we got a few more under our belt. Our defence wasn't as good as it's been, so we sort of traded one for the other. But, look, I think what changes now is the mentality. I feel like some of our boys have been... You look at the crowd here today, so many Argentinians who have put their savings together to come for this week, next week. I think they felt a bit of that pressure, you know. I mean, we've got to win, so you can't think about it. Now that... Everyone's happy, all the crowd's happy, they're into it, no, they're right for the next two. Maybe we can just chill out and go for it, you know, play some good footy and then we'll see the card, where the cards fall, you know, we'll see how we go. And just quickly, do you have an update on Pablo Matera? No, but it doesn't look good, so I'd say it's a hamstring injury, definitely. 
And by the look of him now, it's say to be over, but, you know, it's never over till it is, so we'll see what happens. That was Michael Checker talking there. Great to hear Freed from Desire on in the background too. What a banger that is. Since then we've heard from Argentina's assistant coach Juan Martin Fernando Lobe, who, what a name that is as well. He's unfortunately said that Matera will be ruled out for Saturday's game so it's concrete now and what a big loss that will be. Speaking of injuries, Ireland team manager Mick Kearney has given us an update on the injury speculation in the Ireland camp following last week's clash against Scotland. There's a potential wing crisis for the Irish side. So here he is giving us the latest news. So James Ryan is seeing a specialist um, and we are hoping for uh, better news than originally anticipated. Uh, Mac Hansen took a bang to his calf but is improving and both him and James Lowe are making good strides. Uh, Keith Earls and Robbie Henshaw are both in contention um, as they progress during the week. And apart from that, just some usual bumps and bruises after a physical test match. So, so Jeff, are you more optimistic there, Mick? I suppose encouraging to, to have that history. Yeah, we won't, we won't have a definitive on, on James, obviously, until after he's, he's the specialist, but certainly uh, there would be more, uh, more optimism around James than probably what was originally anticipated. So just to confirm, at this stage, no call-ups, no one else being added to the squad? No call-ups, no one added to the squad, and, and at this stage, no one ruled out for uh, the match against New Zealand on Saturday night. Tell you what, you won't find a more Irish accent than that, but it does sound like positive news out of the Irish camp. So fingers crossed they will be at full strength, of course. You want the All Blacks to beat them, but you want them to beat their top side. No excuses. And in great injury news for the host, France, Captain Anton Dupont. He's a step closer to playing this weekend after being cleared to resume full training. The surgeon who repaired his broken cheekbone has given him the green light after a final checkup last night. And it's now up to the coaching staff to decide whether the star scrum half is fit to lead France against the defending champion South Africans on Monday morning. DuPont is also reportedly considering wearing a protective headgear for the game to try and limit the pain and any potential further damage. However, there's believed to be two key deciding factors as to whether or not he will wear one, that being his vision and also his hearing cannot be affected. Of course, being a halfback, both of those factors are extremely crucial and with the atmosphere and noise in the stadium set to be electric come Monday. It'll be hard enough to hear on the field as it is, let alone with a restrictive headgear on, so watch this space. Hey Surly, uh, can't imagine the French surgeon not allowing uh, passing DuPont. Can you imagine? I don't think he'd be a surgeon the next day, you know? Like, here it is, the superstar of your World of your world Cup, uh, arguably the, the best player in the world, arguably one of the greatest players of all time, and you're not going to clear him for a Rugby World Cup semi-final against the world champs? That was always going to happen. Yeah, I would say perhaps maybe a brown paper bag. You don't want to speculate, but maybe a nice little payday for him. And yeah, like you said, maybe a sir. He could become a sir at the end of the World Cup if DuPont is to secure them the win. But yeah, I think that was always a box he was going to tick. And you leave that big call up to the coaching staff, don't you? So smart play from him. And then finally, Wallaby great Stephen Moore. He has spoken on what Australia need to do following the Wallabies' disastrous World Cup. He said 
It's been alarming the way the team has gone backwards. It's been a real slide the last couple of years and even has said they're bordering on a second tier side at the moment. Moore then went on to say that the rush recruitment of Eddie Jones, his misguided selections and misfiring game plan has contributed to their failure but that all the problems weren't squarely on Eddie. He reckons Rugby Australia need an overhaul from top to bottom including a super rugby restructure and they need to stop chasing shiny new things such as NRL stars. Some interesting points there from Stephen Moore. It's hard to disagree with everything he said. In my opinion, whatever actions they take, they need to do so urgently. They have an upcoming Lions tour in 2025 and then of course they're the host nation at the next World Cup. So they need to turn things around ASAP. So there's your news from around the grounds bringing you up to speed. Time now for your breakout performer brought to you by Breakout River Meats, 100% Australian meat locally produced from Cowra in New South Wales and my breakout performer for this week is George Moala for his impressive performance in Tonga's big win against Romania. Of course it was his first game back from that lengthy suspension he picked up in the Pacific Nations competition and it almost left you wondering if Tonga could have been more of a presence in the World Cup with George in the midfield from game one. Here's some highlights from his try against Romania. Tokalua to Coleman. Moala, George Moala, bursting through tackles. And he has his first Rugby World Cup try. An impressive performance from George, sorry, a powerful centre, game high, 160 metres from 15 carries. He was a wrecking ball. He scored that try like you just heard, three line breaks and bet 12 defenders as well. you got to wonder if that suspension was a bit harsh, of course. The fact that Farrell came back quicker, maybe again, links to what Solana Mapusua suggested, that perhaps there is some bias towards those Tier 1 nations, and I know that's a big talking point at the moment. Maybe that ban handed out to George will just further fuel that fire. Time now for an ad break. When we come back, we'll have a look ahead at the road that has brought these teams to the quarterfinals and some head-to-head matchups and stats leading into the big games. That's right, welcome back to Rugby World Cup today, brought to you by Kubota. Kubota's in-stock catalogue is out now. One of the great tunes there from Jacob, Free From Desire, and it actually does bring up a bit of PTSD for me, back to the old Northcote Prem's Mad Monday, which wasn't too long ago. The old chant, Surly's on fire, kept going up, and it did mean I had to nick a cold one, so... Yeah, fair to say it left me a little worse for wear. The wife wasn't too happy with the condition I came home in, but hey, you get that when that track comes on. But time now to have a look at the road to the quarterfinals for four of the sides that have progressed and how these teams match up historically against their opponents for this weekend. We'll kick her off with Ireland and New Zealand, who of course clash in the biggest game of the weekend, in my humble opinion, 8am. And again, many believers come two weeks too early. What a clash this one's set to be. And four years ago, 
the All Blacks actually steamrolled the Irish at the same st- stage of the tournament, but since then, the two teams have met four times, with Ireland winning three of them, including that first series win on New Zealand soil last year. So Ireland, they finished top of Group B after opening with an 82-8 thrashing of Romania, and then another big win of Tonga before that 13-8 win over the Springboks in one of the best test matches of the year so far. They ended pool play in style with a brilliant 36-14 domination of Scotland, making that their 17th straight win on the trot. So you could say they're in pretty handy form heading into this one, and fair to say the anxiety levels watching that Irish defence against Scotland on the weekend certainly rose ahead of this clash. The All Blacks on the other hand, they've been picking up the pace and building nicely following that opening night loss, 27-13 to the hosts in France. Since then it's been smooth sailing for Ian Foster's side. We crushed Namibia 71 points to 3, put 96 past the Italians and then of course most recently that 73-0 win over Uruguay with scored 38 tries in pool play, the most of any team in the World Cup so far and 11 more than the Irish but will face a much sterner task in Paris this weekend than we have in our last three matches raising that point, he better to have a hard run in or cruise through and then lift and look to peak come finals time. In terms of the world rankings and your head to head matchups of course Ireland, they're the number one ranked side in the world, New Zealand in fourth which feels a little weird to say, head to head we've played 36 times the All Blacks have won 30, Ireland have won 5 and there's been one draw. The last time these two sides met Ireland got the chocolates 32 to 22 in Wellington back in July last year but at the World Cup We've played them twice and we've won both and held Ireland, interestingly, to 19 points in both games. So if you're a fan of patternry, maybe you could have a little punt on that option. Ireland to score 19. But here's their winger, Keith Earls, talking on Joe Smith's knowledge of the Irish side and whether it will count for anything this time around because that has been a big talking point in the build-up for this week's game. Ian Foster has said that New Zealand have been tapping into Joe Smith's knowledge on Ireland and that he believes that his presence in the All Blacks camp now could be key to this quarterfinal. What would you make of that? And do you think that Joe would have a big influence or is this a bit of a, a new world of team now? Um, yeah, I don't think Joe would know anything about this squad. We're, we're a completely different squad. He probably knows things about individuals, but again, I think we've, we've all changed our habits under this coaching staff and you know, we, we genuinely don't use any of the habits that that, that Joe has taught us. So, um, look, he, he, he might have a thing on a couple of individuals, but we're certainly not the, the, the same team that, that played under, under Joe. So there you have it, Keith Earl shutting down any thoughts that Joe Schmidt will be an advantage in All Blacks camp. Another key matchup for this game is going to be the Battle of the Tens. Richie Moonga taking on the great man Johnny Sexton. Here's Izzy Dagg breaking down Sexton's impact in this Irish team. When you look at Ireland's play, everything is run through Gibson Parks and Sexton. And Sexton is the orchestrator. You know, he gets in there, he, he just controls this team. But you look at the way they've been playing. They have been running this formation for the last four years. Sexton gets it. He runs across field. He does a little dummy cut. Or he gets it off the back of those two forwards. And then he's got two big ball runners outside him that are running good lines. And usually he can hit one of those or he go out the back. He runs across field constantly. Teams are allowing him to run across field. 
live, giving him time and uh, with ball in hand. I just cannot for life me see the All Blacks. If he is able to do that, they will run rings around us. Don't get me wrong. They will run rings around us. But if the All Blacks are able to get up, Kempe, like you're talking about, put pressure on them and just upset them, start showing them, making them have to see different pitches, that is where we're going to get a lot of success, I feel. That was Izzy Dag speaking on the effect of Johnny Sexton, and it's interesting to watch the Irish. You can see a lot of rugby league about their play, which of course makes sense with Andy Farrell at the helm. He looks like a seven, doesn't he? Drifting across the park, he's got runners coming back off him on multiple angles, so bringing some line speed pressure on Sexton certainly wouldn't be a bad tactic. And saying that, the boys will have to be connected though, because any disconnects and a smart player like Sexton will pick them apart. We've heard a lot from rugby analysts over this side of the ditch leading up to this game but let's get an Irish perspective now here's RTE rugby analyst speaking on this game ahead of the All Blacks they've beaten them pretty consistently for the last few years um, they have a lot of momentum now from uh, the last 18 months in general they're on the biggest ever streak they've been on before but even from this competition and it's just worked out brilliant for them they've, they, they've had to kind of really peaked for that South Africa game. They kind of had a, a bit of time off and now they're building again and, they, and they've and they kept that momentum going through. And the fact that pretty much they could take everyone off the field that they need to take off after 50 minutes um, and save their legs, particularly with that turnaround time, New Zealand getting two extra days. It's all fallen really, really well for them. And you're right, in terms of psyche, they will not fear this these guys at all. And it's hard as like a pundit, you're coming into these games and people think you're being arrogant because you're back in Ireland and it's not about being disrespectful to the opposition. I think New Zealand are really, really coming good. But I just believe that Ireland, like some of their, uh, some of their accuracy is absolutely off the chart. And I believe if they are able to execute with that level of accuracy, uh, I'm not sure any team would beat them. Yeah, New Zealand done a really good job. They've kind of flown in under the radar, right? Um, they had a big opening game, and then you know they've been able to manage their squad pretty well and get them home. And now there's question like, will they be undercooked versus a battle-hardened Ireland? Um, that's going to be something coming into the fray. But you know they they do have someone called Joe Schmidt in their coaching staff who will be. You know, I, I get shudders thinking about the analysis that he's going to be doing on these players because um, he knows them so well and knows the way they're playing. But but the big difference, I think, is playing against this New Zealand side, I think our pack will dominate their pack. And and that's that's really important because that will give us momentum in terms of carries, it will give us momentum in terms of our set piece and what we can do to their set piece as well. Um, and that will slow them down, their attacking prowess, because with New Zealand, if you keep giving them loads of quick free ball, they've got class players and they'll cut you apart. Um, but I don't think Ireland's going to give them that. However, New Zealand, are going to, I think, are going to find it harder to slow us down. And the way the Southern Hemisphere teams tend to uh, defend, particularly in New Zealand, which is um, they, they don't mark the space, they tend to mark the man mm -hmm. as such. And I think if you watch last night's play, some of the tries came about because of the work off the ball by the players to create the overlap. Like, um, I think it's Dan Sheen's try there that you see James Gibson Park, he carries in on the wing on one side, gets up out of that rook, works his butt off to get around and actually makes the pass then to put him away in the corner. And that's just hard work and street smarts. And I think the way New Zealand defend, they're going to struggle if they can't slow Ireland's ball down. And I think everyone is finding it hard to slow Ireland's ball down. 
So some interesting comments there, Ree, the Irish Ford pack potentially dominating New Zealand. If I was Jason Ryan, I'd be getting Brody Retallick, Shannon Frizzell and co all together and playing them that audio because I'm sure they would blatantly disagree with those statements. The other game I wanted to highlight, England and Fiji. And of course, it was only in August that Fiji went to Twickenham and stunned the English for their maiden win over the 2003 World Cup winners. England, they opened their campaign with a 27-10 win over Argentina, followed by a 34-12 win against Japan, which all but confirmed their top spot in Pool D. They then rolled on to thrash Chile 71-0 before needing a late comeback on the weekend to beat Samoa. Fair to say they've been far from convincing and the brand of rugby they're playing has hardly won over fans across the world so a big lift in quality of performance will be needed for them in this game to beat Fiji who on the other hand opened up with a nail-biting loss unfortunately to Wales but then bounced back with a superb win over Australia. Since then the dispatch of Georgia in a tight game before suffering that late defeat to Portugal last weekend to maybe give them a bit of a wake up call before heading into the knockout stages. Of course the winner of this game will face the winner of France and South Africa in the semi-finals. In terms of your world rankings, they're probably closer than they've ever been. England are in 6th, Fiji are in 8th. The last time they played, like I mentioned, Fiji got the better of them 30-22 to 22 as well. So exciting stuff there. Keen to hear your guys' thoughts, who you have winning these two matchups. I'm riding with the All Blacks and then I'm going to go with Fiji, everyone's second favourite team. Hope Hopefully it's a Southern Hemisphere double from these two games. But we're fast approaching 6.30 now, so time for the news. Once we come back, we'll continue to focus on Fiji with Mick Byrne, coach of the Fijian Drua, joining the show. Welcome back to Rugby World Cup today, brought to you by Kubota. Kubota's in-stock catalogue is out now, and it brings me great pleasure to welcome into the show current Fiji and Drua head coach Mick Byrne. It's awesome to have you on, mate, and obviously it's a huge weekend ahead for Fiji and rugby, but before we look ahead, I thought we'd kick things off by getting your opinion on the performances of the team so far. Just how impressed have you been with the side and their efforts to this stage? Oh, great to be on. Yeah, look, uh, I think the first two games like, were really impressive when um, <clears throat> when they set themselves up and the way they went about their job and um, you know really stuck to the, the systems and the discipline and and scored some great tries and defended well. And I was very very uh, impressed with the way they've gone about their business. Um, you know they had three good games here. They've gone in um, had a good couple of games leading into the World Cup and started the World Cup on fire. So. You know, they've done a really good job and they've got themselves into the quarterfinal. And uh, and as we all know, it all starts again now. Yeah, it certainly does. You mentioned there the discipline and the defence. And to me, Fiji, they've always had that natural flair, that outstanding skill set, tight forwards that can run like backs. And they have the ability to make something out of nothing. But for me, it's been that those developments in those other areas you mentioned that has really kind of taken them to the next level. How do you think the introduction of the draw to Super Rugby and players getting exposure now to higher quality competition more consistently, do you think that's helped this national side develop in those areas? Yeah, look, I think the 
they've always had a great 15. There's no question about that. There's a lot of guys that have, have left the islands and gone and played in France doing a great job and they've become professional rugby players. And um, I think the the advent of the Jura has allowed that next tier of, of players on the island to to develop a professionalism. And, you know, at the end of our second year, our players learn what it means to be a professional rugby player. They've, they do their work, they do their homework, they do their clarity at the beginning of the week, they execute at the end of the week and they got themselves fit and uh, look after themselves. So they've learnt the professionalism and I think that's been a, a good addition to what was already a, a pretty talented sort of top 15, if you like, national team. And as we've seen in this World Cup, those top sort of uh, top league players from France have, you know, they're devastating and mm. uh, the draw boys have been able to slot, slot in there in a very professional way and I think what well, the combination of the two environments now has, has added real value to the flying Fijians. When I think of uh, standout wins from the cross of the tournament, Fiji beating the Wallabies for the first time since 1954 is the game that jumps out to me and obviously being an Australian and having worked with the Wallabies, I can imagine you were on the fence about this one, but how big of a result was that for Fiji and rugby as a whole, knocking off a team held in such high regard in world rugby? Yeah, look, I, I think it was awesome. Um, you, you know, I, I think, you, you know, you say sitting on the fence, but I am sort of, you know, from a point of view of when the game started, there was no question. Um, I, I, thought, so I wasn't sitting on any fence, so mm. I was pretty uh, pretty wrapped with the, the flying Fijians. I think um, one of the key things there for us has been a, a number of players, you know, like there's an element of Australian that don't know about the, the Northern Hemisphere guys, and, and that's always a, a challenge for teams. You know, when you go into a World Cup, you're going in against guys you've got to do a bit of homework on and so there would have been a few of the flying Fijians the Australian guys weren't aware of but the other side of it is um, our um, endure players had, had played a couple of years against the Australians so there was no sort of um, air of uh, expectation around oh these guys are you know they're a tier one country our, our guys had gone in against them for the last couple of years so I think that helped relax them and, and get them focused on the game with rather than the external noise of, of playing a tier one country as such, even though they they were above them on the ladder. Mm. Um, in the past, there's been that element of, you know, in, in the two, um, 219 World Cup, you know, Fiji got out to a great start, but then, you know, Australia, Wallabies wore them down and, and, and got away with, with a good win. Um, and the fact that the Andrua players have been, you know, used to playing good solid 80 minutes now, was, that's what one of the things we worked on is that fitness. The Northern Hemisphere guys are playing hard rugby every week, so the combination of the two two guys meant they were always going to play a good 80 minutes of football. And I think the challenge was going to be Australia had some some uh, real X factor players if they could get their game together. And you know, defensively, I thought Fijians did. You know, we did a great job, held Australia out, and then we scored a couple of good tries ourselves. So you know, it was um, it was a great victory and. Obviously, um, getting that victory set up the, the World Cup for us. Yeah, it certainly did. And whenever you hear the players speak to media, they talk about how bonded this team is as a group and they want to make the country proud. Obviously, in your current role, you would have witnessed this firsthand as well. But can you speak a little on the Fijian rugby culture and just how important it is for these players to represent their nation to the best of their ability? Because they play with such huge amounts of passion and pride, don't they? It's almost similar to some of these European sides we're seeing. 
Yeah, I think the you know when you talk about culture, one of the the things that was really uh, attractive for me as a coach to come here because it's something you don't have to talk about. You know, there's a lot of a lot of teams I've worked with over the years. If you've you've tried to find your your identity, you've tried to find your culture, you know, and you try and build that as a team. Whereas here, their their, their identity and culture is ingrained in them, and, and so it, it was just a matter of helping them understand what it means to be a professional rugby player because, you know, deep deep down there, you know, their religion, their faith and family are, are massive parts and, and um, that's already ingrained in them from when they were little kids. So the faith and family um, culture is strong. Um, they live it every day. You can see them, uh, you can see them before and after games with their, their hymns and they, they get together and, and it was great when the Northern Hemisphere Fijians came here and um, they went went off to the island and um, you know slept on the mattresses on the floor and got back into village life. A lot of our guys, um, in drawer players, that's they've been doing that anyway over the last few years and mm. uh, they're still part of their villages. Whereas the Northern Hemisphere guys, especially those that have been away for five, six, seven or eight years, came back and it was a real grounding for them to go back into the village and. And just remember and just get the feeling of remembering where they came from as little kids. And I think it was massive for them to be able to go back and experience that as, as one group. And I was here at the time and, you know, they were training here, um, playing, you know, before they went away. And, and then when they came back, you could see, you know, just in the gym that they'd actually become a tighter group just on that week away. So it was a pretty good thing that um, Simon organised for, for everyone. You mentioned before the performance of the 23 throughout this tournament and a few pundits have kind of mentioned the possibility of fatigue starting to creep into the camp after that loss to Portugal. Do you see that playing a factor? They've obviously had to roll out a pretty similar side because their pool games were such important must-win games or do you think it was more just Portugal rising to the occasion and playing a great brand of footy? Well, I think there's, a, there's some, some elements of you know quite a lot of things at play. I think you're right. Um, you know, if they'd been able to score a bonus point win against uh, Georgia, and uh, that would have given them the opportunity to rest some of the players, but with a, a must-win game, which they didn't get against Portugal. But I think the key, when you look at it, um, I think the when I, when I look at them play against Georgia, it looked like they went out with a, a mindset of, um, and the playing group particularly sort of had a mindset of, getting the bonus point and so they you know we had the tight end prop having a tap and go and and all those things which is which is part of uh the thing that we had at the endure was you know when when we are in a position where we're expected to either win the game or we get in front and it looks like we're going to run away with it we do tend to get a little bit loose and i look at the endure over the last you know 12 months where you know sides behind us like moana and no disrespect to them, but Moana, the Highlanders, the Rebels really, you know, took it to us in games. And then we would beat the Crusaders and Hurricanes at the other end of the ladder. So, you know, it's just that element that they're just learning now about professionalism is they're no longer the underdog, you know. And and so, you know, the, 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 the better you get, the higher expectation there is on you. So I think it's all great learnings for the players and, um, they won't have any trouble getting up for England. That'll be a game where they probably are the underdogs and, and that'll gear them up and they'll be totally focused. And, uh, you know, having beaten them before the World Cup started, that'll put them in great place mentally and, 
you know, it'll be it'll be awesome to see them go at them on uh, on Sunday. Yeah, well, speaking of that game, obviously, like you mentioned, they bet England not long ago, and I think all the mutual fans will be cheering for Fiji, that's for sure, because it's fair to say England haven't exactly <laughs> captured the hearts of imagination with the style of footy they're playing. But what for you will wow. be the keys to Fiji getting the win? You mentioned not getting too loose there. I guess if you give England opportunities yeah. in your 22, they will make you pay, whether it be three or five. Yeah, look, I, I think the, the crowd will certainly... Um, be supporting supporting us. Um, you know, I was in the Six Nations for four years, and you know, England weren't the French favourite. So, um, you know, I think the you know the non-partisan crowd will be certainly behind the the Fijian boys. But uh, I think the key is probably you know to you know look after the the kick kicking game. You know, and and they did that well. Um, they exited well, and they receive their kicks well against uh, England the first time round, so that'll be another thing. And and then also to you know to be really disciplined, because you know we saw what Ford did to Argentina in the um, early stages, where he, I think he, you know Argentina was doing a great job, but he ended up knocking over I think, four or five um, drop goals. So England, that's what England will do if you give them uh, territory. So the key there is going to be discipline and just keep them away from your 22. And and uh, you know I think the the boys will have enough firepower at times to to open up England, and it's then just a matter of making sure that England uh, don't get too many points on the board. We spoke before about the culture and the importance of rugby in Fijian culture. How big would it be for Fijian rugby if this team can advance into a Rugby World Cup semi-final, a feat that, what, probably 18 months ago, not many would have considered possible, right? Exactly. Um, at the end of the November tour last year, they were, were struggling a little bit. You know, there was a, you know, coming out of COVID was a challenge. You know, for for the team because the players on the island were locked away; they couldn't do anything. And there was a real development void here on the island. Um, no one did anything from October 2020. So you know, there was a real void of of games. And then when they went to the November tour, that the team got COVID. I think they they had to. Um, postpone or cancel a game because of COVID and you know there was that real disruption to the side and um, you know, I think people looked and went well you know what's happening there but then this year you know Vern um, left um, and then you know Simon's come in and uh, the the you know brought back in the sort of Fijian culture and, and those guys now are are in, in a great shape and you know if they if they can win you know definitely they can win and you know, the, not the if, but, you know, if they win this um, game on the weekend, well, I know what my uh, my little village area around me will be because I, I'm here them, I hear them every morning. Like last, like last week it was 7 in the morning. The week before that it was 4 in the morning. Um, you can hear them all around the village, um, you know, charhooing. So the place will be electric and I think what it'll do is it'll, um, it'll really put uh, Fiji on the map and it'll put them in a, a position where... The Southern Hemisphere, you know, organisation would, would definitely have to look at them as, mm. as uh, as a growth part of, say, the rugby championship. Um, you know, when they're looking to restructure or, or realign what's happening down here, around that um, international window, certainly, you know, by having a success on Saturday or Sunday, will certainly um, put that on the put that on the on the boardroom tables. 
Yeah, 100%, and it's fair to say if the All Blacks were to take on Fiji this week, I'd probably feel nervous for the first time in our history, but really appreciate your time and insight there, Mick. It was great to look uh, to speak to you Sorry, ahead of this week's big game. Fingers crossed they can pull off the win, and you're hearing plenty of chahus in your neighbourhood, but enjoy the game, mate, and, and hopefully <laughs> another historic well back-to-back do. wins over England. How good. Yeah, oh, that'd be, you know, what a, what a tremendous last two months that'd be for Fiji rugby and the Fijian community. So, yep, he's uh, he's looking forward to a great weekend. For sure. Get up the flying Fijians and the draw, of course. Time now for a break. When we come back, we'll have a look ahead at the weekend schedule here on SENZ. That's right, welcome back to Rugby World Cup today, brought to you by Kubota. Kubota's in-stock catalogue is out now. And time now to have a look ahead at this weekend's games, live on SENZ. Of course, quarterfinals time, four juicy matchups, and it kicks off with Sunday's doubleheader. Wales versus Argentina from 3.30, and then Ireland versus New Zealand, a true bums-on-seats match. And the build-up for that one kicks off from 7. Then on Monday morning, England versus Fiji again from 3.30, and then France versus South Africa. Africa from seven. Some juicy games there. Love to hear who you guys are predicting to advance through to the semi-final stages. To the text line now though, we have had a couple messages come through. The first one says, Surly, who is the best player you've ever played against for Northcote? Fair to say there was a wing duo going around for Massey a couple years back which put a bit of fear in me. Tavita Lee and Mark Talia, they were both pretty prolific and I was happy to be wearing the 10 jersey, not the 15 jersey because... I think one-on-one they certainly would have turned me into a turnstile. Speed isn't exactly my number one asset, so they were always pretty handy at club level. Luke McAllister, he always went well for Silverdale. Bryn Gatland in the 10 jersey for Takapuna. They've probably caused me a few nightmares, unfortunately. Best player I've played with, Mike Harris. He went on to be a Wallaby. He was a handy first five. And then Bryn Hall, obviously, he did his best to make me look pretty good out there. So those... Sorry, those are the names that come to mind. Another text here, will the thrill to be the difference on Sunday morning? A great call, that. Fair to say I'm not a Tasman Marco fan, but I'll be hoping to see that fins up try celebration all across my TV screens. The key point for me, who will be on the other wing alongside him? Will it be Mark Talia? Will it be Leicester Whainganuku? A big decision to be made there. Of course, Leicester certainly put his hand up last weekend. So keep an eye on that. I think the team gets named Friday morning. So no doubt Ian Foster's mulling over those scenarios as we speak. But of course, that's us for today's show. Cheers to Jacob and Brad, and thanks to all of you for tuning in as well. I'll catch you back here tomorrow night, same time, same place, here on SENZ to bring you up to speed with the latest news. Of course, we'll have another interview, and we'll be another sleep closer to those quarterfinal matchups. So go well and enjoy your night. There's a dream.